0: Welcome to The Directors Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas.
1: And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap.
0: Hello everyone, we're both here. What a treat. It's a bit of a announcement episode slash there's no kind of point to it episode in that there's no guest. We're just going to do a bit of a recap. I guess the the main point of of this is to say that the director's take is officially over. But that's just the first season.
1: We always kind of planned it to be like a season one because we kind of wanted it to have this idea that everyone would be able to listen to their whole entire season one and they'd be able to have a handle on what it is they need to do with themselves to get into the industry and have some knowledge of the industry. I think that we've more than enough hit that with 40 episodes. I think so. <laughs> I think we've done quite a bit. Uh, we've, we've, we've definitely done our
0: bit to help patch up the gaps in the industry, I think. if You can't get access to a film set or you can't get access to conversations which directors have or their prep like there's something in it within here like when when i kind of got my sort of knowledge from podcasts and stuff it's it's all scattered around the universe i think the only other one which is quite good is teen deacon's podcast but it's not doing it through the lens of directing um it's 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 more about specifics of their jobs and their journey so to kind of create this and have it specific for directors and all in one place you don't need to kind of run around and just listen to an hour to get the one soundbite which is actually useful to you um yeah really thankful to put this together really
1: yeah and and we we started actually recording a year ago in november yeah and we didn't release our first episode until march this year yeah and we've been going ever since every single week and we've totted up almost three thousand minutes of podcast
0: yeah which is ridiculous that's like 50 hours it's an insane amount of content and it's not like we've just sat and recorded it and throw like thrown it out like it's been the amount of planning that goes into that like the emails the back and forth to get people on just organize the times amongst like me oz and whoever's coming on then to create an agenda all the questions the research that's involved in that and then it's the recording and then it's the whole there's the whole edit process editing that much material yeah, and like doing all the copy, putting all the links in. And then quality checking it. Quality, yeah, QCing it. So like we're not putting out nonsense. Like we 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 listen to it and re-edit if we have to, to make sure it's all on point, ready for when it goes out. And for free.
1: Yeah, and for free. And on top of getting work, family, life, writing, directing, on top of all of that stuff, we, we kind of tweaked as we went along and we always want to make sure that it was like a a, a really strong product and it sounded good. And it wasn't just like crap audio or not the right levels. We always wanted to be a strong product, so people could actually enjoy listening to it. Yeah, and I think that
0: was something you brought to it, especially was was like the branding aspect of it was was putting because I I we would have released it in January if I had my way. Um, but I was I think you were quite committed to making sure all of the like the logos and uh, the adverts. Like the animation stuff was all was all kind of like set and there so that when we launched we hit the ground running and i think it really showed we managed to get people on very early because they could see that we'd built this thing which if you listen to it and you kind of just a glance it seems professional like it doesn't look out of place on spotify or apple Podcasts at all and it never has it's basically the summation of me and you being industry professionals before even being filmmakers and like creating content for like social media and in corporate and clients and things like this like all of that sort of knowledge is is allowed us to do this as a side thing because it's like that's what we do that's the way we've been trained
1: like i said we always wanted to have this as a curriculum we've had other guests that we wanted to get on and you know we've had the possibility of getting on and we just haven't been able to do it because it doesn't really fit this first season we've really been strong with that because we always want to leave something out there as like a document document for us so that we could go back and listen to it like you know the agent one or i mean we're going to go through and recap them but there's so much in there that you can go back to it's supposed to be the directing starter pack
0: we've talked about potentially getting like bfx supervisors on or stunt coordinators and things you like but that's actually a bit further down the line in a in a sort of director's like journey like as you're kind of breaking through doing stuff on the smaller end or like doing early bits of tv it's it's rare you'll come across that sort of thing so we thought like we get the fundamentals down you can just like find your way through it because if you're going to be using bits of vfx it's going to be isolated moments and you can kind of like do that um so yeah we, we've kind of purposely been very tactical about what we want this to be and very clear about it as well um so that it also allows us to get bigger uh, when we choose to go bigger um for the next season
1: you know obviously we're both like you know narrative fiction directors and what we wanted to do was we wanted to get like documentary filmmakers on we want to try and get you know even even factual entertainment like you know how do you direct that you know we don't have to worry about oh we've got to Met this season want a certain curriculum it's 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 fine as it is. Base is
0: here now it grew faster than I I thought it was it was maybe like not slow but it was like a little bit quiet for like the first few weeks ish but it was, it was still like people engaging with it what people resonating was is that we're we're we are one of you. Yeah, that. yeah. We're, we're basically in the same boat. We're, I think it's a timing thing, isn't it? Is that like me and you are both at the point where we're on that cusp, where we're in that same pocket of frustration where everyone is, is where like your skill base would mean that you can go and do it long form, but you're, you're still stuck in short stand, Um and you're just waiting on that bit of luck or a champion or something to swing your way to throw you into it. And we know so many people are there and our backgrounds as well help with with you being a northern filmmaker even though you've got affiliation with the NFTS you didn't attend there you're you're a bit older with a family and a mortgage and kids and stuff whereas i kind of represent the other filmmaker that's yeah more traditional goes to film school and um, even though i'm from the midlands i live yeah around london and kind of taking that route so it it seems to be that we're we're, we're somewhat representing the and speaking for the frustrations of everyone that's out there
1: one of the things that it doesn't feel like it's a burden has been because so many of you listeners have reached out to us to tell us how much it means that it's out there and that kind of like kept us going um and we were both shooting films and we were both doing other things but we still did it if we still kind of like navigated it and did it or we did it ahead of time i mean some guests that we had we literally recorded on the friday edited it on the saturday and put it out on the sunday because it was timely it's the quality of our listeners and who listens and it's been really refreshing to see the type of people that have been following us, the type of people that have reached out to us has been lovely. Because
0: once we finish an episode, we don't know what happens to it. <laughs> really, like, we we, we we see numbers and that's it. But unless, like, people reach out to us, we, we don't know what it's doing. Like, we don't... It's what I say about certain things. When you put something out to the universe, whether it's a film or whatever it is, you can't quantify what it's going to do. And for us, it's like once we put something out, we don't know how it's affecting you guys in your journeys. So uh, wh- whether you kind of see me, mine and us's conversations off the back of it or not, like when we get a message, we do send it to each other or kind of like and, and talk about it. And uh, it always seems to to, to mean a lot um, when you hear of people who maybe wouldn't have shot a film and they kind of they say that they've listened to the podcast and it's inspired them to go out and, and just do it or like find a way of doing it or like gotten over a bit of self-doubt or they've been listening to the podcast whilst making their film, because it's kind of inspiring them. It's like those sorts of things we didn't really anticipate would would happen. But when, when we kind of hear that sort of feedback, it, it kind of, it, it's what's inspired us to do 40 episodes rather than 15 or 20.
1: So I thought what we'd do is have a quick recap of each episode.
0: Yeah, if you have a little chat-chat.
1: So we're back. We had recorded with writer-director and visionary Riffy Ahmed. She'd been on uh, Top Boy and she'd been shadowing on the last season and it was really cool getting her on. And I really enjoyed that chat with Riffy because uh, I hold her in quite high regard in terms of her craft.
2: When you're a mentee, I just felt like like a lemon the first
0: day. A complete spare part.
2: I don't want to get in the way of anybody. Like, people are doing their jobs, (laughs) So I was just trying to be useful. Like, obviously, the directors at work, I'm not going to get in their way. If I have a question to ask, if they have a question to ask me, I'm just going to, like, keep at a distance. But what I did was is that I was always, like, reading, looking at the script and then looking at the scene and, like, kind of making notes.
1: I think it's a good thing to say as well that anybody that is going to be going on shadowing, it's really, really important. Try and embed yourself in prep if it's possible, or at least try and get a handle of it. We got access to all the previs, all the concepts, art and everything, so that we could enrich our minds so that when we went on set, we knew we knew what would happen.
0: We thought that episode was important because no one teaches you how to shadow. If you're a director trying to break into the industry, it's one of the things you're going to have to do at some point. I think it was good to kind of demystify what that is so that when people actually get a chance to shadow they can dispel some of that nervous energy and like let some of that go so that you can just like wait for your opportunity and know when the opportunity is when we got on house of dragon i learned to shadow from you i was like you were like running after them so i was running after them as well because i didn't know what i was doing yeah, yes. um, <laughs> but you'd actually been on a set a couple of times so uh, like sh- to shadow specifically so yeah I was, I was following your lead on that but yeah that was a great episode yeah and we brought on my agent which was early doors which felt very important we'd both had chats with my agent like um which were kind of similar in terms of just like figuring out what they do and that information just isn't out there for anyone it's weird that that's not out there because it's such an important thing and it's why they get bombarded with shit all the time is because people don't know when the right time is to speak to an agent uh i actually re listened to it yesterday um because i was i was i'm trying to like calm myself down and be patient so i was like listening to that to be like cool what are they doing <laughs> behind the scenes um but it was good to have released it early because i think that caught a lot of traction because people quickly realized that sort of conversation just isn't out there at all and it really really seemed to, to land and it's actually our highest performing episode now when i first started being an agent and i was looking for my first raft of clients
2: most of the people i took on initially and they're still my first clients to this day did not come through a film school process and yet their talent is evident and it's something that gets me excited all the time because when I got to know them I got to know them personally and I got to know where their stories come from and that's so invigorating because I always know that when they go to write something or when they have an idea I'm going to be excited about it and that's what I want to see when I represent filmmakers.
1: And that episode really, really helps, and I've listened to it a couple of times. I'll probably go back and listen to it again because at this moment in time, I am unrepped. Yeah, uh, listening to that allows me to kind of understand the psyche and what I need to do to line my ducks up. It was a good dynamic for the chat as well, wasn't it? It was because like you are coming from that
0: mindset of like someone uh. trying to get an agent still, which still blows my mind that you don't have one. Uh. Um, but that that is what it is. Um, but I think to have that perspective. And asking those questions as well as like what happens when you get one is like it i think it helped demystify we use that word a lot but it's literally what it is it helped demystify like what happens when you get one it's like there's, yeah there's still no magic wand and like i'm still sat at home writing my next projects and i'll I'd, I'd be doing that whether i had an agent or not like they can only do what you what you give them so unless you're seeing there generating stuff they've got nothing to do you've made a film two years ago which traveled well but what have you done in two years since? Like, if there's nothing, then what can they possibly do? They can't just keep sending that one
1: film around, so. Um, and then we had uh, Alice Seabright, which was a brilliant episode. I mean, we spoke to Alice for about nearly three hours and it's just nuggets galore in that because she's run.
3: What I've found in some of those experiences is it's basically learning how to fight for the things that are really important. Some people need to Mm. learn the other lesson, you know? I think some directors are too rigid, they're like, this is my vision, I can't budge from it. And, you know, if the chair's not red, I'm gonna have a fit. And those directors might need to learn flexibility. But I think where I was coming from, I had a lot of flexibility, I had a lot of ability to compromise. And actually what I learned from those experiences was to to sometimes not, to, to know what's worth fighting for and what isn't. When I started on sex education, I remember thinking, you know, this is amazing because I get to work with all this incredible cast and the resources that I've never worked with before. And in so many ways, this feels like a step up. But in other ways, it feels easier than making a short because when you make a short, you also like make the food. You also, uh, you know, uh, have to like, you're the one calling up the like spark just because someone drops out and you need to get a new one and you you know you're you're just like doing everything no one's going to
1: care about it more than you are on a short exactly
3: it's it's all on your shoulders and you don't have the money to pay people Mm. properly the biggest challenge i think that felt different to shorts was it's short so it's all in your head it's all there it you know say it's 15 minutes you, you can track it very well and you always know where you're at in what part whereas as soon as you're doing three hours of material on a Monday, say you're having to like somehow remind yourself where you are in the story, you know, what comes before it, what comes after really make sure that you're tracking the story in its long form in a way that, a short just is there because it's not so much to carry in your mind so i was doing a lot of prep work you know on the weekend going over what scenes you're doing that week reminding yourself exactly how it's all going to fit together so you go okay i've shot this the, the scene before it so it's got, I, I know what that's going to be like so i need to kind of hold on to certain things like whether it's cinematography or performance level for the actors piecing it all together is this much much larger puzzle so that felt quite different
0: it's basically like if me and Oz directed an episode of TV and then being given a show to direct, like to, to show, that's literally the case, right? That's basically what happened. So like to get that perspective, she's not a million miles from where we are and to kind of get that, it's not a million miles from where our listeners are. So to get that perspective from someone is like super helpful um, and there was like lots and lots of practical stuff in there. It's
1: absolute gold. Yeah, and then we had a, we, we did... Uh, and I want to give a big shout out to Helen Simmons because, you know, we were nobodies yep. uh, in terms of <laughs> in terms of podcast world. Like no one had, you know, it was it was really early on that we recorded with her and put that out. Um, yeah, we only but, released a few episodes. Yeah, but... but she was she very kindly came on and she's been a big supporter of the podcast actually, um, and and you know she's referred to it as one of her favorite podcasts, which is uh, wonderful to hear. And that was, again, one of those things that we did where it was timely to have that episode released because I think um, I think Abdul, who's a friend of the podcast as well, behind the scenes, had put something about slagging off <laughs> producers or something on Twitter and then it caught heat. And then uh, next thing we know, uh, there was a big thread because it was round about the time when the BFI thing was going on about producers and directors and what the producers do and they don't want to work. So we thought, you know what? Let's get someone who's actually on the come up.
3: But in terms of getting it made, so you start with your idea and you have your script. My philosophy is that there's always like five different versions of that script that you could make. You know, there's the no-budget version. There's the... And this is excluding films, say, where there's like sharks, effects, whatever. But like, you've got your no-budget version, you've got your lower-budget version, you've got a medium version, you've got a really expensive version. And... The thing that decides which of those it will be is what's the profile of your director and how keen are various investors to work with them? What cast can you get? At? Because cast determines the value of the film. And What genre is it?
0: Because, uh, yeah, it was one of those ones, like, I, I remember seeing Helen had done, like, an Ask Me Anything on Twitter. That reach is going to be so limited, especially in terms of, like, you need directors to see it, because directors are the one who are struggling to get the producers, and that's literally our target audience, so I think it, it made a lot of sense. And I think it was around that time, got on like Ben Taylor from BFI Network, because it was all about the anxiety came from the, the BFI Network application process.
1: We, we kind of wanted that to be a bit of a double whammy, where we had Helen and Ben come straight after, but obviously we had to get the BFI one approved before it came out.
4: Okay, I'm going to use the two words that are going to come up. It's like voice and distinctiveness.
0: Yeah. I saw
4: your faces there, It's like, yeah, we've heard this before. I got
0: PTSD right
1: now. (laughs) A strong producer is incredibly valuable. You're less likely to trust an inexperienced producer with money. I'm in many filmmaking groups. Yesterday, late last night, there was someone putting a request for a producer. You do need a producer to apply to our short film fund. So interesting question, this.
0: Oh, God. Should a straight white male bother applying?
1: Yes. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> of course you should
4: Like, okay Right,
0: listen but It's one of those things isn't it It's like Because on a lot of these podcasts And sometimes like Usually when people are brought on It's for PR purposes And it's for us Like that's nonsense It doesn't help anything To get like shiny, shiny Representation from Whatever organisation Like you, they can throw that out But then we, we want to know like Okay great But what do you actually mean? And I think that realness is is what helps to resonate is because people can smell the bullshit, can't they?
1: Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, Amit Shah on. Again, that was a really timely one because Happy Valley 3 had just dropped and he was one of the stars in it, uh, playing the, the rogue pharmacist. Uh, and then we were very lucky to get him on. And that went into such a long discussion with him because obviously we didn't, me and you didn't know him and vice versa. But I think when we started talking, you know, we all start just like getting, as we do in the director's take, just getting honest with it.
0: You know, the director might come up to you and say, I want to play this last section like it's a Western. Or, you know, an actor might bring on a different vibe that is very interesting, but makes you go in a different direction. So it's just having that openness Know your lines really well. You
4: have to have this awareness of your character's journey. And that's the beauty of it, being able to
0: plot those points, yeah? Where those gear shifts are and how that character changes. He's, he's a, a lovely, lovely guy. Um, you can tell that from being on screen, which is, I think, why what makes Happy Valley so dark is performance. Because um, he's so believable as the lovely guy. And we had that, we, we demystified... First ADs, first assistant directors, we got on. Uh, Stephen Anyaritan, I worked with him before, and he's he's got like a wealth of experience in working on like uh, TV shows and things like *Dream of the Black* and uh, *Bridgerton*, as well as uh, the feature film like *Blue Story*. Um, and yeah, he's he's just he's just the boss. And I think for me and you, we only well me especially, I only really learned the importance of first ADs when being on *House of the Dragon*. And that like, I'd obviously worked with them several times before, um, but I hadn't ever been involved in prep with a first AD to that extent. And so it was from like seeing that, I realized that, okay, those are the people. If you have a good first AD, that's how all of the information, all of these great decisions and conversations you're having, that's how they reach the far corners of the production is through your first AD and your producers. Um, so it was, it was really cool to, to kind of speak to him with that knowledge and kind of then dig into the process and that collaboration.
1: Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. And and, and Steven is just, he's such, he's such a great guy. I was actually talking to someone the other night who's worked with him recently on two things. And they was just talking about how amazing he is. If you haven't listened to our podcast and you listen to this one first, you need to go back. In fact, even if you haven't, you need to go back and listen to that episode. The scheduling scheduling is, 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 is huge. And then we had friend of the podcast and uh, our friend, Katie Goldschmidt, who is, well, Catherine Goldschmidt. Emmy-nominated
0: cinematographer of House of the Dragon, episode eight, season one.
1: And it's a BSC now,
0: isn't it? Superstar. Um, but we got them on before they were famous.
1: Yeah, she she do not she don't reply to me anymore. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she was, um, it was a really, really cool, sort of like, I'm sure that we're going to get her on again and really do an advanced deep dive into the craft of cinematography because uh, we wanted to kind of keep that one quite basic. Her journey and the amount of work that she actually had did to get to where she is is insane. And she had to start again because she came from America to England and had to start from doing shorts.
0: From ground zero, to this day still hasn't shot a feature in England. And we had uh, Sam Masood
1: Come get a job. Come get a job, us. Could not get a job. Still couldn't get a job, mate. Yes. Everyone's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, great. Yeah. Have you got anything else? I was like, yeah, I've got two other things I want to make. I was like, there's another film set in Pakistan I want to make. Not naming names, but the BFI. And everyone else <laughs> were kind of like, oh, it's too ambitious. This film you want to make in it Pakistan, it's too ambitious. I was like, shit, man. You can criticise me for being ambitious. Cool. I did Hollyoaks, and my agent was like, you got to do a block. If anyone's looking at your CV, they need to make sure you did not mess it up so you do another block. Cool, the guy got invited back. Uh, so I did Hollyoaks. And, and shout out to everyone on Hollyoaks, man. i got a lot of time for everyone up there. Got on with everyone. And it's tough, man. It's brutal up there. It is hard because you've got like two or three people shooting at the same time. And if you've got Mandy in a scene and you don't finish on time, then there's a knock-on effect. So did my shit, got in, got out.
0: Badass. Came up through the indie route. Then became like lead director on one of the highest rated T V shows on Sky and and obviously did the BBC show You Don't Know Me. He was very, very cool. He's got Borders coming out soon as well, which is, is quite hotly anticipated. So yeah, he's he's really, really cool. And he was just gold man, like and very real. Like just completely real, honest with the whole thing. You're just like, this is all fucking nonsense. You can all fucking do it. <laughs> it's just like what you're worrying about. It's like you go there, you say some stuff, you come home.
1: And the thing is with him like I've been, a, I've been a fan of him since like when I first first started because you know you look you look at, you look for people who look like you or like you uh, that are doing things and, and and you look up to them, and he was definitely one of those people and to actually get him on the podcast and we spoke for ages. it was a two-part that we did. It was just golden and, and how honest he was as well, like even the other day I met a director or I met someone I can't even remember who he was, and they were talking about they were quoting that episode when he was talking about he wanted to get a Greggs. And he was like, I'd, I, I had to think about whether I could even afford to get a Greg's cause he, cause he was in between jobs.
0: And that was shocking to me as a director, like as, as someone wanted to break into industry, I was like, that's actually scary as like someone who's already a working director, like just struggling to fucking make ends meet. And I think also good thing about Sam, he's like really about it in that we, we know that on borders, whether production was on board of it or not, he got on lots of people to come and shadow uh even if it was just for a day just to like come and see the set like gave lots of opportunities for for directors to kind of get on set and see it and see the machine at work it's massive that he's like been doing that and trying to do what he can to actually help the industry like well help the new talent come through in the industry
1: big respect to um Sam. i know he's a fan of the podcast and he's probably listening to this so respect to you and then from one Sam to another Sam. And this was Sam Baron who yeah. whose episode really charmed with people because we kind of gave it a bit of a clickbaity title. It was from uh, Hollywood <laughs> what was it to Hollywood and Back Again? I can't to remember what it to was.
0: Hollywood and Back Again. Which is true. This is exactly true. It was one of those life changing opportunities which happened where he won the, the the Nichols Fellowship Award, like the biggest screenwriter in his 20s. competition in the world. Yeah, yeah. Like naively, just managed to win it, and then, yeah, and then it didn't all, it wasn't all what it cracked up to be, and it's really important to be people to, to hear that stuff. It's kind of like the agent conversation. It's like you think when you get an agent, that's it, your life's going to change, but it's like it doesn't. you There's lots of shit which can go wrong, and yeah.
1: If if anyone wants to, you know, hear an underdog story, or if you know if you're a fan of the Rocky films, go back and listen to that Sam Barron episode because. He really does sort of like, take you through the journey of what you are as an artist and why you're doing it. So all of a sudden I had 60 grand in my bank account. That changed my life,
0: 26 years old. So you're signed with American agents, American manager. I almost immediately, once I was through that door, was willing to change what I had to offer to like, do this project that you don't really like and it's got this famous person attached to it or whatever. How are you going to resist that as a 26-year-old who was an assistant like four months ago, you know? There was a part of me that needed to go through all of that, like development hell, being screwed over by managers, producers, all this stuff. I didn't have my um, protective gear in place to hold on to your own personal identity I was so caught up in what I would now, after like several years of therapy, call the sort of the ego journey of that. I think there's more important things in life than the sort of external perception of what that means and external validation and things. I'd rather be doing my own little stuff
1: than being at those upper echelons feeling like I've lost myself. He got a lot of lovely comments from people and new people about that episode and how it chimed with him because the good thing about Sam is he's so honest. He's really, really open. Just like the other Sam Sam Masood, they were these these three episodes because Sam Massouds was a double double whammy. They were just so honest, and I think that that for us was a was a moment because that's what is one of our USPs on this podcast, and this is what we're going to hopefully um, carry on through is is just having honest conversations with artists.
0: And then we we spoke to. Remy Moses, who he's just announced that his rad film has gotten to slam dance twenty twenty four, which is massive, massive deal. So
1: And and fully deserved man, that guy has put his fucking work in.
0: Yeah. It's it's one of those like I've I've known him since maybe like twenty eighteen. Our films were in the same festival and it was like he, he he his film was like six or seven minutes long and it was you could tell you he did it himself. But like there's such a clear and distinct like I'd say it but a voice there which you don't see often and it just he when I looked into him he had such a strong like work ethic behind all that and the amount of work that he'd done to get him to the point of making stuff like that even though it wasn't perfect was like okay this dude can do it like for sure. But then you're seeing like been rejected from every bit of funding he's ever applied for and was just like at a loss of what to do next and how to level up in the industry because he can't get the money to to kind of like wrap himself up with production value because he's still having to do stuff himself and it's like what kind of fucking dystopian nightmare is this a filmmaker this is where someone like this can't get the resources to to execute the shit that they want to do um so yeah it's, it's amazing to see his game recognized
1: and just to say as well, like, you know, people, you know, there's, there, there was a lovely thing where he was on uh, Thomas and Adepeggio's Dailies event and someone had listened to that episode of him and decided to go down because Remy's name was on there. Uh, and mm. that, was, that, 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 was, that was really sweet because they listened to the podcast and heard him and thought he's on a Dailies and they made the connection. And, you know, I just want to say that, you know, he's got into slam dance just now, but the amount of effort and the amount of time it's taken Remy to get to where he is now has been a long long journey like I, I, when I met him on there um, I, I went and looked at some of his other stuff and he had stuff from like 10 years ago if not longer yeah like where yeah, he was yeah, yeah. starting out doing stuff and you know uh, it's, it, it really is it really is lovely to see that he's, his film and he's fully deserving Saving Art is a lovely film he's getting the props that he deserves so that was a really we didn't actually talk to him necessarily that much about him. We were talking about film schools on the actual episode. Uh but I'm sure we'll get him on again. I'm sure we'll get him on again.
0: Yeah, the slam dance and then back again.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so yeah, after that we we had on uh Raisa Ahmed, uh who is a wonderful writer director talking about development, breaking into the industry, who she's been about for a very long time. Um I was on a talent lab with her, I think maybe when i just moved to London, it might have been about 2017, I believe. And uh, yeah, she, at that point she had an agent and had features in development. And then it was, we recorded it in 2023 and she's still in development with stuff. And it's like, I'm sure a pandemic didn't help, but she's obviously gone from strength to strength. But it was just, it was interesting to hear her journey of navigating development and how she's balancing writing and directing.
5: This was my my road trip feature. Two women driving their gran from Scotland to Pakistan, female road trip film. And this exec told me to watch a film about this Pakistani heritage woman being taken to Pakistan and forced into a marriage. And I was like, what's that got to do with my film? Like, what's the connection here? Like, what has that got to do with my film? Absolutely nothing. When we're starting out, there's like this sense of urgency to everything. Like we must get it done really fast. But then when you're actually in development on things, you realize that everything is really slow, just because people have so much that they're across.
1: I think everybody should go and listen to that because we don't actually have, I don't think other than, other than the Amy O'Hara one, I think Rice's episode was um, the other side of what development is like. And she gave a real yeah. strong insight as a writer director about what development looks like. So yeah, go check that episode out.
0: And we got on old uh, Joel May David, who just directed Dreaming Whilst Black, and thankfully, thankfully, and like very generously gave up her time on a Sunday morning to, like, whilst whilst shooting Queenie, um, her new show, um, from I think which is being made with Candice Cartier Williams, um, she took the time out to come speak to us about her experience on Dreaming Whilst Black, which was which was really really cool um and that was an important one because this is our first directing gig so it was it was good to get to hear about that and the experience of working on that show at that schedule and the difficulties of that
1: yeah i think that will definitely get uh joel on again because i think she's definitely a friend of podcasts now uh and then yeah. we had uh adiaska chason who is the composer of many brilliant pieces of work but specifically uh heartstopper she's
0: ridiculous in the speed and efficiency of which she works um just yeah I think her brain is just wired up wired up to just deliver music um and yeah and not not with any ego either in that like it's always about story so um there'll, there'll be times where she' be like I don't think we even need music here which is like impressive for a composer to say yeah, yeah. um but yeah for, for me it's like I have got no musical background and I remember that was working with composers i felt really really stilted like i had no language to speak to them um and so like to if i feel like that i know there'll be a bunch of other people that feel like that too and so i think to have that conversation and open out about how you do communicate with composers is just like yeah gold
5: but when i got heart supper One of the main reasons I got it is because they felt I connected with the characters. I think just the sound of what they were hoping the music would be fit who I was and just the show in itself, it's just so bright and bubbly and, you know, I'm not always bright and bubbly, but I think the thing that I sponged up from the books was this feeling of nostalgia, this feeling of young love, this feeling of warmth. And like, when you read the books, you just feel so comforted. That being said, then when I wrote Consent on Channel 4, There was a bit of humour to it, but my God, it was so dark. I loved bringing that out in like the strings and stuff. When you play a violin and it kind of just lightly touches the string, there's this fragility to it. The whole thing could just break. Or it's like when you like bow right next to the bridge and it creates this like uh, sound and it feels like you're going to be pulled apart. Emotion for me feels physical. There's a physicality to it.
1: And then we had Kali Cook. The Hempocalypse, which she was in, had just dropped. Callie was really cool, man. She was funny. It was really nice just getting sort of like that working class perspective uh, of an actor that's, you know, emerging and on the rise. So we had Philip Ilsen,
0: the old guru of film festivals. Uh, so the, the founder of London Short Film Festival, and he also works in with the London Film Festival as well. So he was, he was a great one to get on because I've never got in there, so I was—I never got into one of his festivals. And I, what's going on, Phil? Why not? Um, so I think it was one of those ones. It was—I didn't ask him that directly, but it was—I think it is good to get a perspective from a programmer to be like, why, what, what they look for, um, and why when they're consuming a program, like your film might get rejected even though it might be fucking brilliant.
1: And then, and then we because we, what we wanted to do was again. This is talk going back to I was wanting to make this curriculum. We wanted to get like a breadth of everything so you know you can find out how filmmakers came up. But also we wanted to understand what festivals were thinking. And that's why we got Phil on. Uh, so again, we had that side from the short films and then we decided to get Rob Monday from Short of the Week, which is an online festival. And that was a really cool discussion. Uh, Rob really is a short film um, fan, just generally. And uh, he spoke about Director's Notes as well, which is another um, platform he's affiliated to. So it was good to try and get that. Understanding from both, uh, you know, Phil and Rob a bit of a double whammy to give education to our listeners about how to how to how to do your festival road.
2: Yeah, you know, opportunities do come from online, and you know, opportunities do come from the back of being featured on Short of the Week or Directors' Notes or, or wherever it is. So again, it's kind of important to what we do. It's one of our motivators, really, to help a filmmaker.
0: But all of the things that I thought I would get from film festivals I got from my film releasing online short of the week, I, I was then speaking to production companies who were interested in me and my work. And through them, I got like recommended to agents and stuff. All of these generals, management agencies and stuff. Whereas at festivals, I've I've still yet to have a single general meeting off the back of me yeah. being in a festival like, to this day. I'm not I've not yeah. even had an email. There's there's a fun fact about that episode with Rob Monday. If you go back and listen to to my voice... I was actually in bed with a migraine. and <laughs> had my camera off, <laughs> do you remember? Yeah, and you went off at one point. I think you went to puke, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I had my camera off. Uh, Rob didn't know this, but I was actually recording from my bed, because uh, we had two podcasts lined up that day. I had to cancel the second one, but I think, the, yeah, the first one was Rob. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I had uh, the microphone on my bedside table and I was like lying down with the lights off. <laughs> that's commitment, that's dedication. Yeah. This is what people don't see. No. Uh, I don't like being late and not turning up for shit. Um, but yeah, that was that was a whole thing. And then we uh, we brought on Louise Kempton, who's a intimacy coordinator. And we thought this was important because obviously the industry is moving this way, and it's an important thing to think about when you're sort of like writing these scenes and conceiving them. Yeah, when you're working with a low budget, we know that there's. there there could be little rogues out there who are planning to just go and do stuff and they might do it in the wrong way. Whereas like, if we thought we brought her on, you could at least get a sense of how, of how you can do things in the right way. Even if you don't have access to the the money to, to do it, like you could at least create an environment, whether it's through rehearsal or like speaking to the actors to be able to approach intimacy in the right way, even with like a low budget level. So we thought that was an important one to have on.
5: So yeah, I've done lots of big orgy scenes and group stuff. Say anything over 10 people, I'd always ask for an assistant or another intimacy coordinator on set with me. You hope that the actors are not coming in and doing their own intimacy. For me personally, that's why I really root it into character, into story. What's the purpose of this moment? And then by having a physical rehearsal, that really does take it out of your own intimacy find different sex sounds and breath you know don't think about your own sex sounds your own noises lots of people haven't done a load of the stuff that they might be doing as like their, their characters so by doing the choreography really helps actors and then when it comes to the physical rehearsal sometimes the director stays sometimes directors go great leave you to come back and show me
1: and then we had film for exec emmy o'hara on as well uh, and that was really really important big
0: deal that one that was that was massive.
1: Went down really really well. Uh, I think people were very grateful to to have that because normally when it, I've seen Amy and even you know Ben Taylor, I've seen like from BFI, I've seen them on panels and it's just dissemination of information. There's no they normally do signposting. I think you want to apply for this. This is what you do. This is where you go. This is how you do it. What we wanted to do was to kind of understand and and unpick the psyche behind what a talent exec film for does. And Amy is really, really brilliant in, in being open and transparent and honest about that because she really is about the work and, and, and she's a she's a real fan of cinema.
2: Let, let's say they did three brilliant shorts. They have an idea for a feature we love. They have a one-page outline. It's sort of totally similar to something they've done before, so we feel quite confident that they're going to kind of be able to handle it at longer scale. And we would commission maybe two, two or three drafts with some revisions, and work really closely with them to take it from outline to draft and then second draft and etc. Sometimes we, particularly if someone's coming from a commercial space or music video, it's they're just the director that we
0: love. Say we've just submitted some work, you love it, you throw a bunch of money at us, we've got a feature in development, we film for. What happens next? Do we shoot next year? What What are the next steps?
2: It's tough because then we get to the point of like. Is this a production conversation? Now we'll share it with the wider team. That can be brutal sometimes because fresh eyes is tough. But they see they see things that they you know you've missed or that you thought were sort of translating to readers and it's not. That can be tricky. And then it's about like the partners. And sometimes you just can't build the project, even though film four are involved. You still can't find the right partners to make the finance work. That's the kind of brutal reality of the industry. But I'm hopeful I'm very hopeful that a couple of those will be going into production soon
1: yeah if you listen to that back to back with races you'll you'll get both sides because racers films with film force so you'd, you'd get both sides and then we had this one. this was one actually that kind of made me rethink what I'm doing yeah uh, in terms of like while i'm while I'm waiting. Um, and it was with Jacqueline Abrahams who's uh, a production designer but we didn't really talk that much about production design we talked about philosophy behind production design it came about art didn't it we had like a bunch like as we do we
0: create like a whole agenda around like art uh, not around art a whole agenda around like her career and her process and things like that but then like I started to kind of go off about it and then Oz was like actually can we just go back and talk about the art stuff and it just became about that (laughs) It, um, yeah, it was really brilliant. It's brilliant, um, and it, it it made sense. There is craft stuff in there as well, and there's good anecdotes because she's she's an exceptional production designer. She did like Lady Macbeth. She worked with like you almost down on a Lobster, and I'm sure will continue to go on and do amazing things. But she's super super highly thought of.
4: When I left school, I went to do a foundation in art, and the first thing that happened, we did some drawing for are new figure and you're drawing. I remember the lecturers walking around. There's a whole bunch of people and knew each other. And he said, great, great. Some really good drawings, really strong drawings. I can see something. You've got some real skill here. And he went, right, let's tear them up. Let's tear them up and move on. And I was like, what? And I thought, I don't want to tear this up because it's actually a really good drawing. Mm. And he came over to me. He was really a nice man. He said, Do you know, the thing is about creativity is there's always more if you trust it. But if you don't trust it, and this is the best you've got, and he just left it open, and I realised, fucking how? And I tore the picture up, and of course, it was a really important moment.
0: The amount of of great stuff in there, just around artistry, is like gold, as well as all the stuff about how you collaborate with directors. Um, So yeah, there's there's a lot in there.
1: And then we had Louis Arnold.
0: Yeah, L-Dog. Lewis Arnold is is seen as one of the the best one of the best TV directors in UK at at present um he's prolific he's always working on the next project he's working on right now but we managed to catch him in a quiet period
1: I spoke to him for about four hours
0: yeah and it was it was again it was supposed to have just been like a small chat a regular sort of like 90 minutes two hour episode but it went so far beyond that (laughs) it was about it's about four hours long um just nugget after nugget in there. And it was, it was like purely craft-based, wasn't it?
5: When I tried to get a break, I worked as a runner on Doctors. The show set in Birmingham, filmed in Birmingham, my hometown. I'd been a runner on it. I knew load of the team on it. I'd just graduated from film school. I was like, I'll get a block of Doctors. Doctors is the entry-level BBC show. They came back and said, now nah, we're looking for experienced directors. If the entry level shows are looking for experienced directors, where do directors go who don't have a credit to get experience? Same with Hollyoaks. I went to Hollyoaks after doctor because I said, it's a young, skewed show. I'm 28, done this in my body of work. And they were like, we're looking for experienced directors. Again, if the entry level so- shows don't want to know, how do you get in? You know, how do you get in?
0: So if you want a masterclass on TV directing, then that's that's one you should be all in on completely.
1: Then we had Ian Seller, who was one of your tutors at the NFTS and one of the tutors of many directors, including the one we just mentioned, Lewis Arnold. All I can say on that is just people should just go and listen to that episode.
0: I mean, Lewis, Lewis name drops Ian at the top of the episode and it's honestly, it's just I, I messaged Ian the other day and he was saying like, he's had so many ex-students reach out to him saying about the podcast, like there's, there's, there's people that are working at a very high level who are listening to it and kind of respect the knowledge, like just as a way of listening to more Ian <laughs> basically. Cause when you leave the film school, it's harder to get, it's hard to get like 90 minutes of Ian. So, um, yeah, to, to have that there, the, the dude is, is, um, is he's got like a really unique way of like breaking down cinema to its most fundamental parts, um, and creating exercise and things around that, which you can all do. So uh, yeah, absolute gold. That's that's definitely a reference point for, for any director, I think.
1: What do you think, Ian, is the job of the camera? There's something
6: in in each of the characters that might not be visible or be only just visible, you know. No. Like there's a conversation, or something going on. They're talking about the weather or whatever, but something else is going on. Cameras are good at, at discovering sort of transitions in 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 people when when somebody's mood shifts from one thing to another. So it's that they can sort of see stuff barely visible. I suppose that tends to be on a closer shot, but I suppose also they can see stuff just the way people are standing and things
0: that you might not have noticed or whatever. Yeah. Ian, are you you aware
1: that people call you Yoda? Do you know about that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we had one of my friends, one of my course mates from the NFTS, MJ Gilbertson.
1: And M's become a friend of mine as well. Um, M is from Liverpool and they had been doing second unit on uh, Phil Barantini's malpractice, which was on ITV. You know, for many of us at our level, you know, might be taking the route of doing second unit. We wanted to get someone in who's done that. So that, just like with the shadowing, you'd have some sort of a blueprint, some sort of a, a signpost to, well, what do you do? And how do you do it? And how do you prepare?
6: When I'm working with a director, I'm getting to know them and what their visual language is for the piece that we're doing. I ask what references of things to watch. I'll ask them their opinions on characters and what they want the progression of the character to be, how much they want me to reveal in a scene or like how much they want me to hold back on. So yeah, it is a lot of conversations with the director trying to figure that out. I think our scene's like about 30 seconds. Basically in that scene, we've got someone checking the phone. She's freaking out. And so what we were trying to do with that scene is we were trying to get into, you know, Lucinda's headspace. So there's a shot I like that we did where the camera's like, it's really close. It's like an extreme close up, but it's a little bit down and it feels like a little bit blurry and I just feel Lucinda's like, and that was like the way that we, you know, we were approaching We were trying to make the camera put us in the perspective of Lucinda and how Lucinda feels.
0: And then we had Berry and Kimmy, who is one of the, the most talented people you'll ever meet. It appears like a natural ability when it comes to, to editing and, and storytelling. Um, and filmmaking in general um he's he's i'm not even sure if he's 30 yet but he's already out in <laughs> hollywood he ain't coming back he's out there just like making massive moves already um and he's got a bunch of features under his belt he's already got i think one of them's in the criterion collection already like i i, I don't throw hyperbole around when it comes to people but i think if i've ever met a prodigy before in my life that would be one of them and it was very clear i i i, I think i'm in the podcast, as I say I met him when he was like sixteen, seventeen. It was obvious then, and just watching the journey from afar, you know, it's it's been ridiculous to see, um, but it's all fully justified by by his ability. So that there's there's a lot in there about how to take notes, um, the process of working with execs, shape like uh, crafting story, working with editors. Yeah, lots of lots of gold.
1: And then we had uh, another one of your tours which was Leslie Manning, the legendary director of Ghostwatch. Just like I was saying about uh, Ian Sellers' episode, just go and listen to that episode because there's just so much craft in it. There's just so many nuggets in it. Um, and I remember when I was recording that, I was actually a unit and I was really tired that day. I was absolutely knackered because I'd been burning the candle at all ends. But when I started like listening to what Leslie was saying, my energy levels just like went up and i was like man this is brilliant
0: like leslie and ian they're both like the lead well they were at one point the lead tutors at the national film television school which is like the best education well the best educational institution for film in the uk so like this is knowledge there for free where you they give you practical tips on how to be a better filmmaker so it's like why not listen to that ridiculous um and she's so so good and it's it's a shame that the industry hasn't kind of given her the flowers uh that she deserves but yeah exceptional exceptional conversation um full of practical tips
1: and leslie was second unit director on uh louis arnold's the long shadow that's what i just finished watching and louis Kempton was uh louise Kempton, our the intimacy coordinator we had and was intimacy mm. coordinator on that as well um and small industry yeah it was it's great it's great um and then we had uh the legendary Thomson adip best dressed director in the land and he's in his own lane um and he's yeah it's a brilliant episode and you know a lot of people he spoke very candidly did did thomason about his journey and about you know his, his ups and his downs and yeah i think a lot of people that know him probably didn't know some of the things he shared with us in that podcast
0: resilience and then this is one we recorded ages ago, but we released it later and it was very, very timely when it did come out. So it was with Annetta Lofa, uh, who's one of your friends on the same um, diverse directors workshop as where you met Alice as well. Um, but they, they'd they done like around 10 short films, had been waiting in the same point where me and you are, they'd been there for a very, very long time. Um, and then out of the blue, someone watches a short, which they'd done years back and then ended up getting a job on directing on Doctor Who, and then that's it. Suddenly she did the job, nailed it, and then goes and directs something for HBO. (laughs) This is a podcast, but you can't see me like throwing my hands up in the air.
4: When I then started working, understanding that tone, I came onto set immediately being able to say very quickly, this is gonna work, that's not gonna work, that's not the show this shot is very much the show one of the things that chris talked about a lot was iconic in the scripts that he wrote there's like iconic shot of the doctor now that can mean anything like what is iconic shots it's so subjective yet when you know the show you then start to go oh that's what he means with iconic and so i can understand that language and then i can implement it in show if it's not your show, I think you need to break it down or what elements are they using that is successful to the show?
1: Mm. It's a brilliant episode. And it's not just, I'm saying that because she's a mate, but it was a really, really good episode. I learned a lot from that episode I love. I've listened to it twice.
0: It's it's just, again, full of like practical tips. And it's just like, she's so confident and clear in what she's doing. Um, it's It's, when you listen to it, it's just like, how was someone like that just sat around watching other people go up? The ladder faster, um, and just like sat on the sidelines, like that. That seems insane to me. It's like what a waste of, of, of talent. But it's, it's great to see that she's getting her her products now, and um, I'm sure she's going to go on and do and do like big things.
1: Then we had uh, Helen Black. She just written Time Season Two with Jimmy McGovern. Helen is a Yorkshire lass, and it was so good just talking to her so honestly about her journey because she's an author who's had 10 fucking novels. So she's got some serious uh, writing jobs.
4: I didn't know how hard it is to get a TV agent. As soon as I met my current agent, like, I just knew she was the one for me because she understood that I had no connections at all in TV and I had no idea how anything worked. I hate the idea that people think you're like an overnight success. I mean, if they knew how much material I've cycled through, like a lifetime's worth of material, but I think because I was getting lots of nice, like, you know, like, oh, I'm in a writer's room. Oh, now I've been asked to do the pilot. And then an episode on a Channel 5 prison show. I was getting lots of things optioned, but it wasn't getting me where I wanted to be ultimately. But I look back now, I think, because I've just got my own show, Greenlit, and I just realised that I was not fucking ready at all. So I thank the Lord, in a way, for some of those rejections, because I'm really enjoying it now. Whereas... I just don't think i'd have been able to get them six hours of telly together
0: and it seemed to do really well connected with a lot of people there's there's lots of good feedback around around that because she's such a bubbly character um but it all comes through she's great it's really really good vibes and then lastly the the episode we did just before this one is the episode with the film and tv charity which we were trying to orchestrate for a while because We've just been having lots of conversations. I'm not sure if it's the changing weather, but everyone just seems to be quite depressed with the state of the industry. So we, we kind of thought we'd bring these guys on to see what, what help they can offer. Like, I know people that have, that have used them um, and have used their services. Like, it's it's again, it's a massive resource. And I think it was important because I think directing is a very lonely job. And I don't know on a set, like, if your producer is causing you ag or, or, I don't know, a production might not be going well or something, like, who can you actually speak to? Unless you're surrounded by other directors, who might understand a bit, it's like, if you don't have that support network, then where else do you go, like, really? Um, so, like, this is one of them places, like, where you can literally just call up and have a vent and a cry if you need to. Yes. And they can refer you if if need be. Um, and also, I think one of the things we saw on, on, on Dragons is, is the way people in, in senior roles like the the words they carry carry a lot of weight and it can really affect someone's like mood like literally it, it could like you could ruin someone's day inadvertently by just not being able to you might be stressed about something else and then you go into a room and then someone says something which is like negative news and then the way you react to that can ruin their day and it's not even about them it's not even about that but just because of the power imbalance it can really have a, a big impact so I think it was important to kind of like highlight that Uh, somewhat as well for the directors that when you start working with a crew your words carry a lot more weight than when you're sort of just like doing something with your mates
1: i've just highlighted one two three four five six there were six people that were nfts people out of all the 41 episodes that we did because we wanted to bring a wide range
0: we didn't want to make
1: the nfts show yeah exactly exactly
0: it's a great institution and obviously i gained a lot from there but that's not there's so many people you kind of, if if it became about the NFTS, they'd feel locked out of the conversations that we're having, which is not helpful or inclusive. And also we're, we're super proud of how diverse the list is, like in terms of like yes, gender, race, and ability. We're super, super conscious of that from the from the get-go. Liberal. We hadn't even released an episode. Do you remember when we announced that we're doing a podcast? I think immediately someone on Twitter like gunned for us and was just like, I hope you're going to be like bringing women on. We're like...
1: Why wouldn't we? Yeah, no, like... <laughs> but it's like... But, <laughs> what are we going to talk to? Just talk to blogs.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like, no one's that. And the thing is with this as well, with this list and this podcast, this doesn't reflect the industry in any way, shape or form because the industry is not like this. No. Oh, it's just absolutely not like this at all. Yeah. it's It's been pretty crazy to kind of run through all this and it's, yeah, it's been one of the highlights of the year for me, I think. it's It's been a thing to kind of consistently keep me going um, and like an anchor for, for like the week almost to kind of like work towards even during moments where like there's nothing else going on work-wise and it's it, we've had a, a few milestones which have been really cool um we get recognized when we go to film events <laughs> That's the whole thing like someone will come up to you and like say hello or or kind of like say how much they like the podcast or like they've been listening to the podcast and didn't expect that to happen it's, really it's, at it's, all
1: it's really good and it, and it also shows that people want to not feel like they're by themselves because it is very lonely you know you work you're chipping away by yourself as a as a writer a director or whatever and then you know what i mean if people other people look to you to steer and drive this project that you want to work on and you can't really you can't really show any vulnerability or whatever or how you're thinking to them. So it can become lonely very quickly. Then you can't go to another mate who's a director necessarily because they might be flying. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to dump them with me feeling like shit. Yeah. But you know, that's why, uh, you know, having the podcast is good because I mean, we, we kind of abandoned it, uh, but we were doing this, um, week in the life. Um, and then yes. we kind of like switched our intro cause we were, we were constantly like improving But that week in the life was just so that we could show that, you know, it isn't about just getting festival selections or getting on this scheme, that scheme. The mundanity of it, I think the best one we had was when MJ Gilbertson on their episode talked about they'd been cleaning shit out of their toilets at their mum's pub that week. And that same week, their film Requiem was on millions of views on TikTok um, because Bella Ramsey was in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they've been speaking to Bella like throughout around the release as well
1: in between cleaning shit
0: yeah yeah he's obviously like at that time had just released the last of us and then yeah it's just back to cleaning shit the following days
1: (laughs) it's just like
0: (laughs) the duality of life of a director um but yeah yeah we we started we're releasing episodes out of order so it it then kind of like dated them all wrong so we started to do our intros instead which which is kind of give you a little update on what's going on for us which is a lot of the time not much
1: and you know what? I want to give a shout out to Giles Anderson as well from the Filmmakers podcast. Because we we, we had a we had a we didn't record it, but we had a, a session with him just to get some advice off him and he was very um forthcoming and generous with the advice that he gave us. Um and we implemented some of that stuff and that was one of them about just having an intro with just us.
0: Um so yeah, big shout out to, to the filmmakers podcast. It's one of those like they didn't have to take the time out to speak to us. So yeah, we we appreciate we appreciate all of that. Um and yeah we we kind of had the, the spotify wrapped situation coming on, which was really really cool like everyone started like posting um on their socials that we were like the number one podcast they listen to or like in their top five or how many minutes have listened to as we said like there was
1: uh some people have been listening to like 3000 minutes nearly of of us which is ridiculous one of the things for me that i find mad is the amount of working directors in the industry that are listening to us. It highlights to me a couple of things. It highlights to me that, obviously we've been on House of the Dragon for as long as we fucking have, so we should actually have some fucking experience and know what we're talking about. Otherwise, what the point? What was the point of that? Yeah. So yeah. obviously we are talking the language that a wide range of people can access and, and, and learn from us on this podcast. Um, and it also highlighted to me um, how lonely they are as well, even when you're in.
0: Yeah, we kind of assumed because of how shit the pathway is in and how sometimes people can be elevated really quickly without the actual knowledge base behind them and find their way in, which is exactly what some people have reached out to us and said, is that there's gonna be working directors who are doing the job and they're probably a bit scared of being found out (laughs) because they've got massive gaps in their knowledge. But when you're a director, it's lonely. You can't then ask a producer a question or ask another director about a basic thing because you're seen as the leader. And so, like, we kind of approach this in a very sort of like practical, fundamental way without judgment. And I think we hopefully is it's useful to those as well. And at worst, like, some we get working directors kind of reach out to us and say, like, I wish there was something like this when we were when I was like on my way up. Like, this is absolute gold, uh, which happens as well. So, um, yeah, that was that was pretty eye opening. Once that started happening, because that started tapping the last few months, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, which is which is pretty nuts, and it's quite a regular thing as well. Um, so that's that's great that we're sort of like catering to directors in general rather than just like early, like emerging directors. Nugget of the week: Our final one of season one. Sad, isn't it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we need to do the spiel of this. I reckon they know now what it is. Yeah, I hope so. So, what have you got to uh, share?
0: As your nugget of the week as my YouTube video of the week Robert Downey Jr and Mark Ruffalo actors on actors and I think it's it's. I was listening to it just before I got on actually and I was like oh this is actually a really good conversation because they're friends um, so it's all very like friendly and candid and they're quite revealing um, but they're talking about the process of working with David Fincher and uh, Yorgos Lamphimos and, and also within the the marble system and the machine which is really interesting to, to listen to because um, even though they don't start slagging people off you can kind of like read between the lines and read the subtext of the way they're having the conversation and you get a sense of of the process of it and and uh yeah so it's 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 really interesting to to hear they're just both very charismatic
1: my one is uh diary of a ceo and it's the episode with buster rhymes on it buster rhymes is uh, a rapper but he's so much more than that and I think it's mandatory listening for anyone. Uh go and listen to the Buster Rhymes on the Diary of a CEO podcast. Even Stephen Bartlett says himself it's one of the most inspiring sit downs he's had. Uh and there's just so much in it. I played I played a couple bits of it to some of my year three students last week and um yeah, they they, they really dug it, they really related to it. So yeah, Buster Rhymes on Diary of a CEO.
0: It's very, very good. There's lots of uh, gold around art stream within that. So definitely worth a listen. Yeah, cool. So that probably concludes it, doesn't it? Last episode. Hope you've enjoyed your fill. Uh, <laughs> I think when we come back, hopefully in the the early part of the new year, we're, we're planning to like build the curriculum further with this podcast, I guess, and, and try and get on people to fill in more gaps in the knowledge. So hopefully we're looking at things like stunt coordinators and VFX supervisors and directors of high-end TV and yeah, and just kind of like really sort of break down what the process is even further and we might branch out into the us a bit as well who knows we'll wait and see but there's definitely going to be some big names within it i'm sure
1: i think that that concludes the episode so next week we won't be joined by anyone we'll be joined by anyone at all so if anyone does happen to be listening get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we will do our best to tell you in season two we want to ship this as a resource for you, so do get your questions in. Reach out to us on
0: Instagram, which is the Director's Take Podcast, and also on Twitter, which is at Director's Take, and leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from, because it all really, really helps. We need as much engagement as you're willing to give us during this down period so that new people can find the podcast and build that hype for the next season when it does arrive. Till next time.
1: Keep learning, keep failing,
0: and keep faith.